be. Yeah, there it is. When that robot voice comes in, you know it is time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELB. Woo! Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe you are celebrating or commiserating over your chosen team of choice on this, the day of the superb owl. Whatever the case, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you, their generosity, their support, their commitment to making sure this show continues means that you get to hear it. And in exchange, they get some cool perks, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and a ton of bonus content, including Feeling This with Alex Solman and Christian Spicer, the DLC Book Club with Lana Bashinsky and myself, and the paid DLC program every Wednesday, a wacky, wild walk through whatever you want to talk about. Patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games. And there are many forums, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, a spell with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who knows I'll either be crying or crying today. As we sit here on the precipice of unknowing, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. This is what it sounds like when Jeff cries. We don't know if it's ha- <laughs> Is that a happy cry? Is that a sad cry? That's right. You, dear listener, already know. You Jeff already might know. still be crying while you're listening to this come Wednesday or whenever you find <laughs> it in your podcast player of choice. Yeah. Uh, just picture Jeff weeping. Picture the Michael Jordan meme, but make it Jeff's face. And just pretend, just pretend. Either <laughs> either positive cries or, or negative cries. We'll find out. We're, we, we are recording a little early so that I can watch my beloved 49ers play in the superb owl. And or the idiot 49ers. How could you do that, you dummies? Uh, no, they will be uh, beloved to uh. me no matter what. Um, but uh, here's hoping that I'm, uh, I have a smile on my face when you're listening to this, ladies and gentlemen. And not a sad, sad frown. Either way, we have an awesome show for you, (laughs) regardless, because uh, we got tons of cool stuff to talk about, some really juicy, interesting news, a bunch of great games. It was Steam Next Fest week, one of my favorite weeks of the year in gaming. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm excited because DLC stands for dots leading contributor because we have gaming editor at dot esports vic hood is joining us for the first time hi vic hi i'm really happy to be here i can't quite hit those prince notes that christian can so i'm not even going to try well i appreciate you lying and pretending like i hit them Uh (laughs) we're delighted to have you on the show and uh you know i do have to remind everybody that the greatest halftime show of all time is prince and always will be you know, yeah. he's the greatest. He's the greatest that ever was, ever will be. Uh, but we got a lot to get into. So let's jump right in and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. 
story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments, questions, anything you'd like us to know. We love hearing from you. dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you do that. Another great way to reach out to us and hang out with like-minded members of the community is by visiting our Discord, which is 5 by 5 DLC on Discord. Check it out. Hang out. Get in on the fun. Lots of folks talking about games and all sorts of other stuff. But Vic, you are our guest. So you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? I'd say it probably is this Disney Fortnite investment that is just ridiculous amounts of money, but also like, I'm so interested to see what's going to happen there. Like it could go so badly, but it could, genuinely go so well like it's it's madness at the minute like Fortnite is you'd think it would never reach bigger sort of platform than it is now epic games is teaming up with disney and there's going to be some sort of virtual theme park maybe like (laughs) i i I just it's i'm so curious to see what's gonna happen there and it could either be such a major flop or like such an just amazing like disneyland's from a controller, you know? Yes. Uh, Vic is referring to a major announcement this week that Disney has invested $1.5 billion, with a B, into Epic Games. Uh, they are in the Fortnite business now. Uh, Disney wants to be uh, closely associated with Epic. In fact, this was announced uh, with the title Disney X Epic. So Disney Cross Epic. Uh, the two uh, huge brands teaming up to create something. Now, <laughs> as Vic referenced, we don't quite know what that something is going to be. Uh, it's not exactly a game, although it might be. It's not exactly an application, although it might be. It's kind of part Fortnite, part who knows what. Disney is teasing this with a uh, pretty uh, slick video that, shows all of the wild Disney brands that we know and love star Wars Avengers, you know, Disney characters, theme parks, all of the stuff that makes Disney such a mega brand. Uh, and even cruise ships and amusement parks and all kinds of stuff done. One thinks inside of perhaps Fortnite, perhaps other, uh, type of Epic created, applications or maybe even dare we use the term metaverse uh people you know uh, we have uh, facebook slash meta doing all they can to create a metaverse and here comes disney and epic like oh we already kind of have one let's just invest all of the ip that you love into it uh disney is is using the two words watch and shop two verbs there um which of course are central to the disney experience and are verbs that you can do inside of Fortnite already. Watching concerts and movies and stuff has been part of Fortnite. And shopping certainly is a big part of Fortnite. And Disney loves showing you things and selling you things. So my question to you, Vic, is in your best possible version of this, what are you hoping will come of it? 
Oh, I I don't know. What I would like, but I don't think it's what they're going for, is the sort of the way Fortnite's become a platform and now there's all these sort of games coming off of it, like, you know, Fortnite Festival and you've got sort of the racing and all of this stuff. I think it'd be good if you almost had, like, this one-stop shop for a lot of different Disney games almost, but, like, decent Disney games. I don't know how to sort of... describe that but like you went into i don't know you went into like a nightmare before christmas universe and there's a really good like fleshed out nightmare before christmas style game like best scenario would be like all those like ps2 like when disney used to do like games after every movie that came out but you're kind of going from place to place playing stuff like that but what i feel like it's probably going to be is that theme park style and i don't know if it's going to be i'm pretending i'm on you know mr toad's wild ride you know yeah Yeah, yeah. like i i don't know i feel like it could be that and that really takes me back to like when disney used to do like vhs tapes of like come to disneyland and you were like (laughs) watch it like here's our cruises and here's our rides and you're like i'm not there but it could be um so do you think that's a compelling idea is that something you would want to do I don't think so. Like, I, I went to Disneyland as a kid and, like, we planned to go on, like, our honeymoon and there's just something about being there. Like, yeah. there's something about the magic of, like, being there. And I know that's very cliche, but, like, you know, it's seeing these massive buildings, like, the stuff from movies come to life in this in this actual created world, I guess. And I don't think you can quite capture that in a game and you can capture a lot with games they can be immersive but i don't think anything gets that but i guess it's also a good thing for those people that maybe will never get to disneyland will never get to disney world they'll never get to do that for whatever reason to get a little taste of you know what it what it could could be like but i just feel like it if that's the route they're going they need to do something much more interesting than they've ever tried to do (laughs) to now you know I, i i don't disagree with that i think that is a uh I think that is it is a high watermark to create something compelling enough. If you're going to create kind of a virtual theme park or virtual world, uh, there's been a lot of attempts at doing stuff like that, and most of it has felt a little flat and and soulless. Um, maybe they will crack the code. Certainly, Epic is the company that has proven that they can create a virtual world that has all kinds of different kinds of things to do and brings people to it and makes compelling experiences. So it does feel like a huge vote of confidence in Epic as a company. And Christian, I know you've been uh, a a big proponent, a, a big fan of what Epic has done with Fortnite, broadening it in all these other kinds of experiences. And you've, you've, uh, you've applauded all of their efforts thus far Obviously, I think the thing that comes to everybody's mind hearing this is Ready Player One, you know, that kind of like, it's got all the IP, go to the Star Wars planet, then go to the Avengers planet, then go to the Moana planet, then Nightmare Before Christmas planet, all, you know, that kind of all your IP are in one place and you just log on to the game and go to any IP you want. Fortnite is toying with that with skins, IP based skins, but this feels like a whole other level of ambition. And I wonder what you think their ability to pull this off might be. Yeah, I think it's easy to be perhaps cynical about this. I think I, you know, perhaps naturally cynical. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. But then I need to sit there and think, 
uh, Lego X Fortnite rules. It's really, really well done. It's a combination of the brands in a, dare I say, respectful way, a smart way, and a very full and complete game, a game that feels well-made, not just kind of slapped together to you know, put these two brands in front of people's faces and have them spend money because they love those brands. It's a good survival crafting game, a game that my family and I keep going back to because of the compelling hooks within the game itself. And I think the same thing is kind of true thinking about what Disney can do. And I think it's easy to kind of go, oh, well, this isn't going to pan out. This is just going to be a cash grab. It's just, you know, another move for them to stay relevant with the youths or something like that. But also Disney's kind of been doing this stuff for forever. You know, Club Penguin way back when was was Disney. And it was kind Mm -hmm. of a foray into this idea of a... um, metaverse always connected world that had different bespoke games in it and how did that turn out (laughs) well ahead of its time how did how did the dreamcast internet connection turn out you know uh sometimes you're a little you're a little early um well i i agree with that but also if it had been a massive hit club penguin would still be around in some shape or form but they do have disney dreamlight valley to be fair and that remains like that i think is closer to maybe where we're going like dreamlight valley has still has so many people playing even if like people aren't paying as much attention to it on the surface or seemingly like that game is already integrating those IPs in this sort of, you know, MMO. And right. maybe this is just that next step on from that where, you know, you're not a character within it, you're yourself, but you're visiting these IPs. And I guess even with Kingdom Hearts, you've seen, you know, all these Disney planets and it's maybe not quite that. But again, we've mm-hmm. seen them stray into this area somewhat, but maybe... You know, Club Penguin was great. I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> like, I mean, I think it's light just shown too bright. I, I went to a Club Penguin, you know, 2.0 or some launch party, and they rented out the baseball stadium in San Francisco that at the time was brand new, and there were maybe a hundred of us there, and we had the whole. St- they're like, "There's no way this was cheap, Club Penguin." Like, what are you thinking? Like, I think there were other problems uh, <laughs> in how you, Club Penguin. There was may have around. been more than a hundred people. It was just so big you didn't <laughs> run into any of them. Yeah, yeah. you never. <laughs> We were playing a survival horror game. We just didn't know it. It was fine. Somebody else. But I, I also think part of this investment is a bigger collaboration between these companies. Disney uses Epic technology in their, what is it, the vault or the, the shooting space that they make all their shows on, The Mandalorian and yeah. so many of the, those shows. The volume, right? The volume, thank you, yeah. are is Epic graphics and epic technology unreal engine right yeah yes and so i think there's connection there and fostering this relationship i do think it's interesting that and i'm not the first person to have this thought by any many means but disney and apple historically have a pretty good relationship epic and apple historically have a not very good relationship and i'm curious kind of how how this will shake out in terms of these corporate behemoths you know, right. which is maybe outside the scope of gaming, but these corporate behemoths kind of jockeying for um, friendly status, perhaps, is a way to put it. I, that's a great point to bring up. I didn't even think about that. That's really interesting to see how that plays out because one one assumes that whatever comes of this will live in an Apple ecosystem as well as every other platform on the on the planet, or as a third uh, loaded, a side loaded as yeah. Apple's opened up stuff in the in the European side of things a little bit now. And what is this a storefront? You know, like how. Fortnite already is, but again, how much of it is you don't even think you're playing a game or think that you're 
open you don't you don't even think about xbox or playstation or any of that stuff you just think i open this it's, it's your yeah. steam it's your whatever and it has all your stuff in it and i think that's fascinating for me the most uh interesting part of this is that disney could have done this by themselves like they yeah. have a games division as well, you they- said they've done club penguin they've done all these other things they could do it by themselves but they see enough value 1.5 billion in value in <laughs> yeah. in epic to partner with epic and i think yeah. That really does. I said it's a vote of confidence for Epic, but I really do think it elevates Epic to a really uh, rarefied air as far as what they offer and what Fortnite represents. I mean, I think we all knew that, but it's it, now it's in cold, hard numbers, right? Disney is like, yeah. we we need you. We, yeah. we see value in you and what you bring to the table and what you're able to have, what you've already done with, yeah. uh, with Fortnite. The other thing I read, uh, somebody, I think in Forbes or somebody was saying like, this basically means every company is going to be a games company moving forward. Like Disney is the canary in the coal mine saying gaming is so mainstream now. It is such a core pillar to what any media company needs to be doing that this is what you're going to see going forward is that every, every company is going to be a gaming company. Yeah. in the near future. And I think that is a, as somebody that, you know, much older than Vic and, you know, has been around uh, through the, 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 uh, the beginnings of video games as, as a medium, it's pretty amazing to see how far it's come and how much a footprint on the culture it is now. And I think Disney's recognizing that. Yeah. That's, it's such a big thing. And also like just, on your point of kind of epic and that and that confidence, like Disney did lay off their metaverse team last year. So right. like, it's almost like an interesting thing of like Disney almost felt maybe like they couldn't do it themselves. Like they need epic games. And then, yeah, I think the sort of Disney dream like Valley and starting to dip your toes. And we are seeing like places start to dip their toes in more and more because like the industry, like overall games is starting to become, you know, it is becoming more of a, a mainstream thing. It's starting to become like actors, for example, you're seeing big name actors now happily, you know, promoting themselves as being in, you know, the new Death Strand, you know, the new whatever. And they're not kind of, I remember it used to kind of be the kind of shy away. I'd be like, I was in this thing, right. you know, where I was, <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, and now it's like, yeah, we've it's got, cool. Yeah, they're now like proud to be in it. And I think it's all this stuff of like people are now proud to be in it. It's a, you know, a, a medium that people are starting to get that whole it's bigger in economy and everything else. And probably as well with like the pandemic, that will have opened a lot of people's eyes to like these are spaces that people can connect with. And that's not mm-hmm. just like those people, everyone was stuck in during the pandemic, but there's a lot of people that just can't get out. And these are these spaces for people um you know to to be social and to be immersed and it is you know a medium that's more interactive than anything else so i think all these sort of combinations of like how gaming popped off and how actors are taking it seriously that stuff is now just coming all full circle to people being like actually you know what (laughs) maybe maybe that is the the thing we should start taking a bit more bit more seriously and it is nice to see and it's nice to 
you know, not feel like you're a little geek being like, oh, I like games. <laughs> now you've totally. got everyone. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> playing Fortnite or everyone was playing Among Us or everyone was playing these sorts of games where right. suddenly you're not, you know, pretend that people don't think you're hiding in the basement. <laughs> you know? I agree. I agree. I think it's a positive thing for the hobby. I think the the, the piece that I have a hardest time wrapping my head around, I, I think the reason Ready Player One became a hit book and turned into a film, I think the reason it caught on and captured people's imaginations is because it imagined this single space where all the IP live, right? But I'm not entirely certain. Maybe that's proof enough that people want that. Maybe the, the idea that that captured the imagination of everybody is proof enough. And maybe... The fact that I can be Boba Fett inside of Fortnite and I can also be Black Widow inside of Fortnite and I can also be X, Y, or Z character, maybe that is also proof. But I'm still not convinced that logging onto one thing that is all the things is better than I've got a Star Wars game, I've got a Nightmare Before Christmas game. Like, is Vic, do you believe that is a compelling idea to people that we have one place where everything lives. I don't know. Like I would have said no before this sort of expansion of Fortnite because people seem to want all their different games and sort of this, they're like disconnected in some way, but they're all connected by this overall thread, you know? And I think that's maybe a better way people want that. It's like one platform, one place to be that you can get all this stuff, but not necessarily in like, one game i i don't know like i feel like even if you started to get into ready player one territory we're probably not going to get a place where the behemoths start deciding yes we'll we'll be in the same game as you like there there's just kind of too too much there for them to suddenly put their egos aside and put all their stuff together for the sake of players but the way we do it see is we have one company that just acquires everything (laughs) then then it's fine disney's buying up all of it we're totally fine but i i think that the best way to do it is that sort of fortnite platform where you've kind of got the the epic you know the client and then you've got fortnite but then you've got a, a variation that's something else with lego and then you've got festival and i think that's maybe a better place where everything's a one-stop shop but there is a degree of division between them, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's the key phrase, right? One-stop shop. Because I think the promise of a quote-unquote metaverse is I pay my dollar bucks for some, uh, you know, for some cool bling and it works across everything that I want to play. So I bought bought the cool Princess Leia uh, hair buns, uh, and now I can have those in any game that any universe, any place I get to express myself. I bought it once and it applies because it's the same place and everything is there. Yeah. There is something I think understandably attractive about that notion. But Christian, I'm curious what, what your answer to the question is like, do you think that a, I mean, metaverse is now just a, such a tired phrase that it's hard to even use it, but I think you know what I mean by it. A Ready Player One's type, what Disney is kind of teasing here, this notion of all the IP in one one application that you go and do a variety of different activities in. The the Fortniteification of all Disney IP. 
Yeah, I, I think we're going to continue to see both approaches for a while. I mean, Disney's we're still getting Star Wars Outlaws this year. Um, sure, of Wol- course. Wolverine next year. You know, we're still seeing all those other types of games, just the same way there's Disney XD uh, and Disney Junior and Hulu and regular Disney Channel movies, Zombies 3, and they're still also making uh, whatever it is, the next um marvel movie you know i think i don't think they're going to go all in but i think this is an important avenue for them and i think vic brought up a good point and kind of the way i was thinking about it is Fortnite as the application it's kind of like oh do we want all our ips in this one application and i think that's an easy way to get people to recoil to the thought but if i said jeff do you want all of your games on steam where all your friends are and you can chat and you can't bring everything from every game over, but do you know what you can bring over on steam, my steam profile picture and my steam messaging. And so if you think of Fortnite as that, where maybe some of your skins can work between experiences within that launcher, I think is the term Vic used or the application. Um, then what a bonus. Like right now, I can't use every character in Lego Fortnite, but I can use a lot. And it's so cool that so many of them can be. But do you know what is even cooler is that all my friends are there and I can be chatting with them because I see Vic's playing festival. Jeff, you're playing racing and I'm playing Lego and we can still talk and cross communicate. And it's easy for me now to jump into your game and your experience. And I think people have been trying this for a long time. It's PlayStation Home you know, forever right. ago yeah. where you have all of this stuff that lives within your home. And it doesn't necessarily mean you can take your kill zone armor from your home experience into the last of us and now be Joel with kill zone right. armor, but you can bring that core experience, this hub of when you're socializing and see that stuff and then maybe bring some of it over. And I think, I think that's pretty compelling. I, I think there's something there's something sticky there, and I think that's where they're going to lean into first and foremost, and then we'll see what develops after that. Well, it is not an insignificant amount of money, and Disney certainly has, uh, I think, big big hopes and plans uh, with regard to this uh, team up. And I think it I think it does more to Epic than it does to Disney. Uh, so I think it's going to be a big big deal moving forward. This is this is one of those kind of megaton, uh, if early in the year, but you know, stories of the year kind of. Uh, potential for being something that's really going to have ripples. And so it's a, it's a fascinating bit of news and we don't really know, you know, it's vague at this point, but I think it's substantial. All right. Uh, Before we get to Christian's story of the week, let's take a quick break for a sponsor. This episode of DLC is brought to you by better help. Christian, you know, we talk about, therapy and bettering yourself and and working on you and how that can help in your relationships. And I think, you know, you and I are both married. Marriages are hard, but in a way, we're also married to each other. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, honestly, if I didn't work on myself and try to, you know, improve the way I deal with adversity and, and, and getting myself and being hard on me and being hard on the people in my life. I think it would make doing a show like this with you for over 10 years, uh, much harder. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what your perspective is on it, but I, I think I value the, the work that I've done on me. 
No, I agree. And I, I would say, uh, you know, peeling back the curtain, uh, friend slash co-host slash nemesis, I would say you're one of my very best friends, Mr. Kanata. And that doesn't mean that it's been a perfect friendship. It doesn't mean that it's always been what? easy. It doesn't mean that everything about this show, we've always gotten along and seen eye to eye on what it should be or how to do things. But I think because, uh, not to speak for you, but we both put in time on working on ourselves I think it's made this relationship more rewarding. And I think it can be the case for a lot of people that 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 can happen. Junk food versus learning how to cook something yourself per se and putting in that time. I think it's a misconception that relationships have to be easy to be right. You know, I'm not saying that I I think our relationship isn't, isn't hard, but you know, I think you, you, you do have to put in some work on, on things sometimes. And therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, where, whether they are with a significant other or with friends or with work. And I, I know that you and I have both benefited from that in our lives. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash DLC today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DLC. All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? We've talked about various versions of this over the past few months as more games kind of get leaked or rumored or associated with Sega's relaunching, rebranding, um, remembering of their cherished IPs and rebooting them. And the newest one now is there's rumors of Virtual Virtua Fighter getting a second or fifth or sixth or tenth lease on life and that they're going to look to develop a new entry, a new version of Virtua Fighter. And I think I think this makes a lot of sense in terms of, one, Sega's already come out and straight up said, we're looking to mine our old successful IP. We want to do that. And they've announced some officially. We've talked about those. And now everybody's trying to find other ones that they might do it with. But the fighting game community is as big and as vibrant now as it's ever been. Street Fighter VI is incredible. Tekken 8 is incredible. Mortal Kombat 1 came out with a big splash as well. I know there's been some you know, microtransaction or uh, skin pricing with all of those games and kind of how things get released after that. But I think Virtua Fighter has been dormant for long enough now. I think five was the last main entry and there's kind of been some updates of five that have come out and are maybe only in arcades in Japan, but kind of different versions of five. But I think, I think there's appetite for it. And I think folks getting exposed to it in the like a dragon games where it's often an arcade of an arcade cabinet of some form or fashion, having a Virtua fighter, I think is getting folks exposed to the IP. And, and I, I'm a, I love Virtua fighter. So I'm excited about what it would be in uh, 2026, you know, or whenever it comes out, yeah. like what's the next evolution of street fighter and how does it perhaps continue this trend Virtua of, fighter. what did I say? You said street fighter. I said, <laughs> I want both of them. Yes. Virtua fighter. <laughs> thank you. Um, I was, cause I was thinking how street fighter introduced the more casual controls and Tekken has yeah. the, I just want to have fun, uh, beat em up story moments. And I'm curious what that means for Virtua fighter, which has, 
been a pretty technical game for a while? And can they increase its reach by making it also more casual? Or does it lean into the, you know, we're the elite game mm. and that's going to be our niche? I'm excited. I'm curious what it ends up being and if it happens. Yeah, the if is a, it needs to be underscored because this is uh, clearly in the uh, rumor category at this point. This was uh, supposedly leaked online um by a uh on social media by someone that was in the know that this is sort of in the early stages of of concept and and production so we don't know if this is actually happening but i agree with your assessment that you know we're in this kind of new golden age of fighting games virtual fighter still has uh franchise cachet and i think they would be wise to figure out what that is uh, Vic, do you have any uh, any fond memories of Virtual Fighter? Are you are you hoping no, this happens? I've, I've never been a big fighting game fan, but I really like the sort of shift that we're seeing. Like Christian mentioned it a bit, where things are becoming a bit more accessible to people like me. Where my thing with fighting games was mash them buttons because <laughs> I can't do the combos, and now right. you're starting to see where you know it. That's becoming much easier, like particularly with tech. And I love that sort of idea of you know, AI is a bit of a dirty word, but this this whole kind of AI ghost fire thing to kind of train you up. And for someone like me who doesn't play them a lot or is a bit intimidated by the genre generally, then it, it kind of appeals to me. But I also do get that sense that like, you know, maybe it is going too far another way. Maybe there do still need to be like almost tears of like, I know that maybe I can play Tekken, but Virtua Fighter is not my sort of game. Um, I think there's starting to be a bit more of that with fighting games and you're starting to see sort of maybe Street Fighter's a bit more accessible or Tekken is, but Mortal Kombat's still not quite and they're almost mm. like layering themselves up. And yeah. you probably do need a bit more of that, that sort of top, like you need to do the combos. We're not going to baby you. We're not going to handhold you. Like... Like I can still be absolutely fine with that while I do my my easy controls on on teching, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that notion. I like the idea of uh, Vir- Virtual Fighter or who knows what other franchise just kind of leaning into. Okay, we'll we'll uh, embrace this niche up here and say, hey, we're really the high end, uh, you know, high skill ceiling, um, high skill floor type of a franchise, which I I think there's room for. I think there's uh, people are hungry for that. Certainly, it's not going to be the mass market appeal that you're getting with some of these, these games now, because as you said, it opens it up to a whole wider audience. But I'm curious, I'm curious what they, wh- what they envision Virtua Fighter as being, because for me, you know, I, I didn't play, I guess the, the most re- recent one, as Christian mentioned, was uh, 2020, the re-release of Virtua Fighter 5. I, ultimate showdown i did not play it I, I was not even aware it came out you know i kind of ignored it so i it's been you know since the heyday of virtual fighter that i've even really paid attention to this franchise in a real way but you know maybe because of that my immediate mental image when i think of virtual fighter is very blocky clunky you know primitive vector graphics <laughs> and i wonder if they can kind of 
lean into that in a way or make that or maybe they completely abandon that. I don't know. I'm sure Virtua Fighter 5 didn't look anything like that. Well, so. I think that's funny because Virtua Fighter for me has always been the upper edge of what graphics can be. <laughs> but it that's launched funny. as this like the the you know classic image and there's action figures of it too or dolls that are of that polygonal. It's like old yeah. school Lara Croft. That's what a lot of us yeah. legacy gamers remember. But Lara hasn't been that since what, 98, right. <laughs> you know, right. whatever it is. And when, when Lara was that, that was the cutting edge of graphics. And the same for Virtua Fighter 1. When it was doing that, a full 3D polygonal fighting game, that was bleeding edge. And I think 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 have pushed that graphical envelope. But I agree with you, Jeff. I think when a lot of people think of it, they think of Valheim, you know, like well, I think old that's style graphics. The, the title, Virtua was like was indicating that at the time when it first was released virtua meant we're in we're in polygons baby you know it's like <laughs> we're we're setting ourselves apart from the 2D sprites that you're used to cuz we're virtua you know it's like it's a virtual three-dimensional space um and i don't know i guess i'm stuck in that paradigm in my head but obviously it hasn't been that for a long time <laughs> Anyway, I think a lot of people are. I think a lot of people are when they think of it. That's what they think of. Yeah. And I, maybe there is room for them to play on that. And and you know, a lot of games have had success going back to those old graphical styles. So there yeah. might be something there where they go, "No, we're going to be a legacy game. Uh, we're going to play the hits. We're going to open with Freebird. You know, not <laughs> nothing totally. off our new album." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a Steam Fest game, uh, Steam Next Fest game that I played this week that was doing that as well. That was kind of like intentionally looks like. Uh, the original half-life you know uh, yeah i think it's a choice now right it's a it's an aesthetic choice and it's a it's a production design idea anyway i don't know we'll see or maybe we won't it's a rumor <laughs> <laughs> um my story of the week is also kind of in the rumor category um this is this is uh, about what the next call of duty is going to be because the, this year's call of duty has had a bit of a rocky road and uh, i think it is uh not been a solid you know i'm sure it's sold more copies than 99 percent of the other video games that came out this year but uh still you know in the the uh last year's 20 the, modern warfare 20, yeah this yeah, last yeah. this last one the, the most sorry. recent one that has come out. <laughs> yeah uh still i think it, it you know it, disappointing on on some levels and certainly was not uh critical hit was not uh embraced by the community full-throated but Next year's is already being discussed and we kind of know, we talked about this, I think a few weeks ago, we know that uh, the, uh, the setting is going to be the Gulf war, which is already to me kind of uh, a tricky thing to make work well. Uh, but more than that, uh, this week, the rumor is that not only will it be in the Gulf war, uh, but the game uh, is going to embrace a much more open world kind of, gameplay style uh they're comparing it to far cry so uh evidently there will still be some levels that are kind of that traditional obviously this is the campaign i'm talking about the campaign not the multiplayer but there will uh evidently still be some traditional call of duty campaign linear story missions but there will be the majority of the campaign will be in this sort of far cry-esque open world go capture points do what you want go where you want map your way through it, uh, exploration, vehicles, that kind of stuff. And even more than that is uh, this will be the new 
paradigm for Call of Duty going forward, that this isn't just Until a one-off. <laughs> the idea being that, that you know, the game after 2024's Call of Duty is already in, in development, although we don't know what studio is doing it. Uh, supposedly, that would have been Infinity Ward, the, you know, in the three-studio revolving structure that Activision has previously established. 2025's Call of Duty would be Infinity Ward's turn, but they have not been officially announced as the uh, studio. Uh, and usually by this point, that has happened. So we don't know much about 2025, but supposedly that one will also be do, be uh, embracing a open world type situation. So I, it's been a long time since I've been too excited about Call of Duty in any <laughs> real way. Um, but, you know, it still is a major, major force in the industry. And Vic, I wonder what you think, if you think this is a a risky gambit or if this is just a sign of the times that everything has to be a little bit more open worldy and that's just what gamers expect now i don't know i think it is risky because i i don't know there seems to be like the cycle of every year kind of college it comes out but you know it it doesn't change a whole lot and there's people that really like that they just want the same thing again and again every year and then there's people that want something different but how different you want that is like a very hard line to balance because open world is almost like completely left field. Like you're going, <laughs> you're going in another direction altogether. And it could be that like they do it and it doesn't work and they go back to the kind of normal structure. It could be that, you know, it does work and this is a whole new lease of life for, for Call of Duty. And like you get lots more people in playing that maybe wouldn't play it like I stopped playing years ago because it was just every year felt the same and just updated yeah. it and I just needed to buy the new version of the last thing right. and so yeah a bit more of an open world I don't know how much it'll work it depends on what they kind of they do with it it just feels like it's not Call of Duty to me but I also am very aware of that sort of Microsoft potential influence that's now coming into Activision Obviously, they got rid of some of Infinity Ward and a few of the Call of Duty, um, you know, studios are losing people if they've not already lost them. So I don't know if there's maybe like a little Microsoft in the ear going, you should do some open world. We're really good at that. Or, or whether, Halo. yeah, like <laughs> everyone's kind of going, oh, Halo Infinite, yeah. Um, so um, I, I think it's a big risk because I don't think whatever someone does, they're going to make call of duty players happy genuinely i think you're gonna either like really upset like one half of the community or you'll upset maybe another half so finding that balance is you know tricky but also i think it does need to shake up the franchise needs a bit of a you know a bit of a facelift frankly in my opinion so maybe you know if if you know if this is the one maybe this is a bigger shake up than we thought but you know it's a shake up nonetheless yeah, it, it, it's curious. I mean, the the campaign has always been, or not always, but has recent in recent years, uh, for the last you know several years, has been uh, the place where the, it doesn't seem to have an identity. And you know, mm. this last year's a campaign really got scathing reviews of people who just felt like it was cobbled together out of multiplayer maps, and it really was kind of uh, a half-hearted uh, effort. And you know, we had uh, I think there was a year not too long ago where they were like, we're not even going to do a campaign. People are just buying it for the (laughs) multiplayer. Um, So Christian, I'm curious what you think about the far cryification of call of duty. Do you think it would be a a positive step forward for the franchise or 
a shakier uh, notion. I, I think it could be a positive step forward. Modern Warfare 3, this last one, had some open sections. And I think the reason why players didn't really react that well to those sections is it really felt disparate from the other things. Where in those open world sections, it felt like you were playing Warzone style. Like you'd get armor and you'd equip your armor the way you do in the Warzone multiplayer. And then you go into the linear levels and you didn't do that. It was, it just didn't feel cohesive, but they were already playing with this idea of open world style you know, go to this point, do things your own way. And I think there's something there that could add longevity to the single player, air quote, part of Call of Duty, where I think it would require a lot of resources initially. And as Vic mentioned, I think fans would probably be, some fans would be vocal and how upset they are. This isn't their Call of Duty. This isn't what they come to that game for. But I think there's something to be said for building out an interesting open world style campaign that would then allow them to continue to add to it, which dear developers listening, I love you. And I realize what I'm saying is far easier to say than do, (laughs) but the possibility is there in a way of having this map that can be explored and added to. And in the good side of a game as service, a game we'll talk about a little bit later with Helldivers 2, where they can add new planets and they can change that you haven't conquered this outpost or a new terrorist organization has sprung up in uh, the west side and you need to go do that. And now, oh, the north side tyrant has emerged. And so you can have this stuff that allows the that single player aspect of things to be more compelling, I think, versus the traditional roller coaster. And I think if they nail that, I think it adds a lot of stickiness to non-pvp call of duty and maybe it is maybe it does go pve and there's that whole world of possibilities there so i think it's a smart thought exercise yeah and i uh feel for the developers that are trying to implement it if they are because it sounds herculean (laughs) well i mean i think what you're describing is very similar to what the promise of halo infinite was right that's why they put infinite on it because it was like hey we can just add stuff to it all the time and it will be this living organism that we get to you know grow and change and it which is easy and cheap to do as we've said (laughs) I, i mean obviously of all the franchises, Call of Duty cares the least about easy or cheap, right? They need they, they have the coffers, they have the size of the team, they have the momentum to be able to do stuff like that. So maybe they can pull it off in a way that Halo Infinite seems to not have. But um, for me, you know, I'm torn because I do think that part of the fun of Call of Duty's campaigns in the past for me has been the roller coaster ride of it you know we were talking about disney and theme parks that it felt like the most theme parky kind of video games have been the call of duty games because you just you get on this wacky ride and it is over the top and then it goes to 11 and then it goes to 12 you know it's just they just keep upping the ante of the crazy stuff that you're doing but i also haven't been tempted to play those (laughs) games in years because you once you go to 11 and 12 it's like i don't need 13 you know, like it's, it's, uh, we, I went to 11, we did it. It was the craziest (laughs) thing, you know? Uh, so maybe that's, that's the answer because I am more 
interested in open world type experience. I am, I do have fun in those kinds of games. So maybe this will be a way to, as Vic said, you know, revitalize uh, the campaign in these franchise. We'll see. I also wonder what a honest to goodness, serious in tone Far Cry would look like. Far Cry mm. 2 was probably the closest to yeah, that. Far where Cry it was 2 like, is, is pretty much that. Ha- yeah. Had a lot of rogue type elements in it and was serious. And then since then, they continue to expand on the open world, but they also like, you put a rocket launcher on an alligator yeah. with yeah. the parachute and put <laughs> yeah. him out of a helicopter, but also like serious themes of oppression. And I don't know if Call of Duty could be the game to do it, but I do wonder if there is an open world military tactical game mm. that is serious and I, ghost recon and some wild lands and some of those had some of those elements but then also when you make it four player co-op again i'm taking a helicopter and jeff's jumping out uh you yeah know? it's goofy yeah <laughs> or it's it goofy all goofy. of a sudden but yeah no that's a good point i think that's it I, far cry 2 is my favorite far cry so i don't know that's that's an interesting idea we shall see very interesting stuff uh but we got games to talk about so let's jump into the games that we have been playing in a segment we call the playlist. Vic, what has been on your playlist lately? I feel bad because I've not been writing these like new releases at the minute. A lot of the time, contrary to belief, I don't end up playing all the new games all of the time because life <laughs> just doesn't have the time for it. Uh, but what I've started getting massively back into is Dead by Daylight. Um, mm. And I've also been playing, uh, still kind of lingering around The Last of Us Part Two remastered since I kind of finished the review on that. I'm just kind of taking my time with with it now because um, it's one of my, my favorites. But yeah, Dead by Daylight is kind of something I've started once they brought in sort of the Alan Wake DLC that kind of you know was the melding of my interests <laughs> and so i was right back right back in there again feeling horribly but <laughs> loving it <laughs> so you, you it sounds like you and christian are simpatico on a number of levels <laughs> with the last of us and and alan way um tell me about dead Light, dead by daylight you, you it sounds like you had been playing this previously and then took some time away from it and have returned is that accurate yeah so it's kind of it's my sort of like me and like you know my online game it's my yeah. one where it's like everyone kind of has their one and yeah on and off for the past few years like um myself and my cousin will play together and we'll kind of go through Parts where we're kind of playing, enjoying everything's get a bit CME. We've not got a new killer or anything coming in for a while. And then you kind of go out again, and then suddenly Chucky's in it, and then you're kind of back in to dip <laughs> your toes and, you know, glutton for punishment. So it's kind of been a bit of that for for a while. But yeah, with the Alan Wake one, like, I, I can't use his, his character in the way I want, but also it's just kind of pulled me back in because it reminds me, like, you know, there's some really good licensed stuff going on here. Like it's a it's a good horror game that I can kind of jump in and out of without, you know, completely like being terrified. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is lovely. <laughs> Just a nice like chill finish work and then get chased down by Ghost Via. So he doesn't want that. admittedly i don't but you know a lot of people do uh that's that's cool i mean so is there some i'm i want to kind of get to the to the notion of what is it about this one 
because I feel like there's a number of games that kind of offer that. I mean, is it is it the IP? Is it that you're actually talking about Ghostface and and these other? Because I started playing it before, so if the IP started being introduced so much, um, mm. and I don't know what it is like. I like the idea of so I used to play. Friday the 13th, I mean, that concept, that kind of asymmetrical came out, but that game was a little bit of a nightmare, but I love this sort of idea of you've got this killer and you're working together and it's all like, you're very much on the edge the way you would be in any horror, but you're not alone. And Mm. like the actual mechanics and what you need to do is pretty straightforward. That's it. It's just, it's almost, it's the adrenaline of it. (laughs) And then, Yeah. yeah, as that's sort of grown, it's become like, oh, I'm getting chased down by a horror villain that I've seen in all these movies. And, you know, now I'm playing the horror villain. I'm going to have Michael Myers, like, sneak yeah. up on everybody. And I, I don't know uh, what it is. Like, I'm a big horror fan. And, you know, getting into horror and then being immersed, it it, it does feel sometimes like a very single-minded, it's just you, you're very, like, in it. Um, yeah. I'll sort of play them with my partner watching, but it is you by yourself. And sometimes that's just a bit too much stress. But <laughs> with other people, like, you know, almost being the lambs to slaughter while I chase off and run off for a generator. I, I don't know <laughs> what it is. It's just, I, it's enough thrill without stressing me out in that way. But whatever it is, like, the, the mechanic is so simple, generally, apart from if you're doing proper strategies. But like it, it just lets me kind of relax a bit. I don't know. I think that I sounds like weird. That sounds like bad. <laughs> no, I love it. It's a little counterintuitive to me, but I love it. Yeah. I love that you're like, I relax by being chased by an axe murderer. You yeah, know? sometimes like... I am the axe murderer. And that's <laughs> yeah, even more go? relaxing because I'm just like, okay, I've hung up like four survivors. That's done. I'm going to go, you know, have dinner now. Like, that's delightful. I love it. That's love it. That's Dead by Daylight. Uh, you mentioned that you're also um, still playing uh, Last of Us Part Two Remastered, which came yeah. out just a few weeks ago. Um, what is your take on it as far as whether it, you know, it, it was a lot of people thought maybe a little too soon to have a remaster for that game, but do you think that it, it's worthwhile uh, that what it brings to the table over and above what you can already do on the PlayStation 4 version? I think it, it's hard because, like, when the first one came out, it was right a couple of months before the PS5 came out. And I think in that sort of period, like, it was pushing the actual, like, the PS4 binders. You're like, right, this is, like, the step into the next level. Um, So, like, when I'm playing, I'm like, okay, I can see the sort of difference. But at that point, it never felt, even though it was, like, right at the tail end of that PS4's life cycle, it never felt like it was outdated looking. Right, like, it's gorgeous already. Yeah, yeah, like, and on PS5, it looks better. Like, it's it's particularly, like, the brutal scenes are the ones you notice it in the most. Um, the relaxing like, scenes. You yeah, mean. the relaxing, <laughs> my favorite scenes, you know? I love, we, I love that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, for me, it's just almost, it, it's kind of is the, the, the definitive edition, is it looks so much better. And I think even if you play it on PS4, and it is, like, my favorite game of all time like if you played it on ps4 you weren't you weren't losing out on ps4 um and on ps5 it looks better and there is sort of the lost levels attached which are the ones that were cut and then yeah. they've kind of added them so you can play them and get a bit of idea and yeah in that respect i'm kind of like these levels are a nice insight into game development and what gets cut and like mostly for pacing and and why it does 
they don't add a whole lot more and the no return mode which is like you know the sort of you know you do the runs like roguelike runs through and it's a little bit sort of i don't know i don't feel like it's going to be long tail it's an interesting concept it's a bit repetitive so in that aspect i'm a bit like this isn't adding much i'm not a huge fan of that but the game was a five-star game to me like right, and then yeah i i think i marked it maybe four four and a half only because those extra elements didn't bring anything to the table but the game as it stands remains like you you can't change it being a fantastic game right so right. yeah um, yeah yeah so i think it, it's it's worth it if someone like missed it out and they got the ps5 and they didn't kind of want to have that or if you're a massive fan like me it's absolutely worth it um but i think like if someone kind of played it in ps4 it was like eh, then you're not really getting a whole lot whole lot more than what what you would have already had there you know right. and that's the case with any remaster a lot of the time you know yeah no i think that's a fair assessment that's kind of what christian came to with your remarks on it too right bud yeah i mean it's the best version of one of my favorite games of all time yeah is it necessary for me, you bet your life it is, you know, but, <laughs> I mean, for most people, no, probably not. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't exist. I love every Criterion Blu-ray that gets announced. I own very few of them, but I always love <laughs> yeah. when they get announced. And that's what this feels like. So, you know, it's hard to not hear the people being like, oh, they're wasting resources or, oh, give us a new one or why spend time on that? And that's out of my control, way above my pay grade. So yeah. I'm glad it exists, and I hope people love it. And it is the best version of one of my all-time favorite games. What's not to love? Yeah. There you go. Last of Us Part Two <laughs> Remastered. Uh, Christian, your playlist. Uh, we share one game. You want to start with the other one? Yeah, let's do that. We'll start. We'll start with the other one, um, and it is the Final Fantasy re- Final Fantasy Seven Rebirth demo. Which for a Final Fantasy game, short title. Um, actually, <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Yeah. Final Fantasy Seven Rebirth demo. We have now had the state of play. I think last week we had not had the Final Fantasy Seven Rebirth state of play that one-off full deep dive into final excuse me final fantasy 7 rebirth so we didn't really talk about it as story of the week here today because i knew i'd get to talking about it here but what a fantastic deep dive developer deep dive i love that we get these things um the starfield one for xbox i thought was fantastic and this was a really awesome look at what final fantasy 7 rebirth is going to bring to the table and how huge of a game it is how huge of a how full of a game it is for being part of a prior game you know they're continuing to blow out these portions of final fantasy 7 and i think really fun and interesting ways in ways that don't feel less than um yes there are cliffhangers <laughs> you know abound but i don't think that's necessarily a problem i think when it was first announced that final fantasy 7 would be these multiple games some people were maybe a little apprehensive as to what that would mean. But I think with the first game and now with the this deep dive state of play, they've shown the care and craft they're putting into it. And so they released this demo, which I love. I love the Prince of Persia, the Lost Crown demo. I love getting demos for exciting games. And I think it's this type of demo I think is really cool too, where with the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth demo, you're getting a chunk of the game that if you play through the demo and then you buy the game, you can import your save from the demo and 
have that be your play experience for that portion of the game. But it's also a kind of flashback side story portion of the game. So it's not as if you're thrown into the middle of it. You're trying to level up your character. So I think the way that Final Fantasy VII Rebirth handled their demo and the way Prince of Persia of the Lost Crown handled their demo, which was different. It's a bespoke, only exists in this demo world. We're going to show you some of the late game powers to get you hyped for what the game is, but it's just kind of this custom-made thing, are both really interesting ways to handle demos for bigger games. So I, I love demos. I love the way that Final Fantasy VII Rebirth tried or, or chose to do their demo by taking a piece of the story that can stand on its own, but also allows you to import that save into the, the final version of the game. I also love that this is the first Final Fantasy VII that is PS5 only. And mm-hmm. they talked about in the um, deep dive what it means for the developers and how they're able to leverage that technology. I think that's cool, and I'm excited to see more of it. All of that positive stuff said, I didn't love the demo. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Really? I'm shocked. It's You didn't I, like it as a demo, or you didn't like what it seems to indicate about the game? So I love it as a demo, but um, it is the game. Like that's, oh, boy. It, it is this part of the game, I should say. And that's what I think was – I feel conflicted because the deep dive that was shown the same day this demo was released showed all these other amazing things that they're kind of promising that you can do. All these side missions that feels like it's 40 hours of incredible content that kind of the way Spider-Man 2 had side missions that you didn't need to do. They are side missions, but if you did them, had rewarding story moments or Cyberpunk 2077. Again, side mission, but if you do it, has meaningful payoff for your characters or paints the world in an interesting light. That appears to be what Final Fantasy VII Rebirth's side missions are going to be. Yes, side missions, but lengthy, meaty, interesting have character moments for your characters fill in backstory all of that stuff about the world and seems really interesting this demo which is free uh i guess the way most demos are now they're not shipped on discs with magazines (laughs) back in my day cereal boxes yeah yeah. Yeah. we paid ten dollars for our demos we got a free magazine with it Um, um so i encourage folks to play it but it feels it feels like it's not quite delivering on the promise of the premise of the developer deep dive. And so it's very limited in scope with a town that you're in. And the combat doesn't feel to me, at least like it opened up in a way that I was expecting after um, my gosh, I'm forgetting the subtitle of the first part. Um, Final fantasy seven, whatever the first (laughs) remake. Yeah. Yeah. The remake, but it had a name also, whatever that one was. Um, so I think it's in a little bit of a difficult spot. I don't think the town is super interesting, but again, it's a flashback to when these characters were meeting. So it's doing interesting stuff that perhaps in the context of the full game, when you get to it, might work as a palate cleanse or as a hmm. some other moment. But I was less ready to click pre-order after playing the demo than I was after watching the deep dive. And so I don't know what that says about one being good and the other not, or one being too good and the other also being good still. (laughs) Are you worried that the game will, are you less excited about the game based on the demo? Yes. Wow. All right. Wow. I know that makes me want to play it now. I I was going to ignore it because I'm like, I'm going to play this no matter what. Now I'm I'm curious. Uh, Interesting. That's the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth demo. 
the other game that is on your playlist, it's also on my playlist. In fact, we played it together quite a, quite a lot, uh, is Helldivers 2, which uh, just hit PC and PlayStation 5. It is notable because it is a day and date Sony exclusive that has come out on PC, um, which, you know, P- obviously we've seen Sony uh, embrace the PC marketplace much more in the last few years. But most of the time, there was, those exclusives are staggered. You get, you know, you'll get that Horizon uh, release a few months after the PlayStation 5 version. Uh, not so with Helldivers 2. And a lot of that is because this is a live service game that really lives and dies on having a robust community. Uh, and it looks like the, uh, the calculus was, hey, let's get the, as many people as we can play in this thing so people are playing with each other. And I think that was smart. Um, I think both of us are playing on PC, right, Christian? I am. Playing I'm playing both. Uh, I ha- I, we received codes. We should yeah, say that. Um, I do have codes for both. I've yet to fire up the PlayStation 5 version. Um, I'm waiting for cross-progression, which the developers have said is coming, but is not day and day. Cross-play and I started play is available, is already is available. in. So you yes. can play with people on either platform in your party, but cross-progression uh, moving between platforms is not yet there. Yes, so I've been playing on PC. I did play on Steam Deck. When the game first launched, it was oddly incompatible with Steam Deck where folks were finding, you know, little hacks or ways to get it in a different experimental protons to get it to work. And then they released an update. Having a beefy GP in a way that I can sit down and play this at a desktop, Steam Deck is not the way I would choose to play it if you have the option. But I had a locked 30 frames experience. I went in and I played solo, a couple of easy missions. I squatted up with some randoms and did a four-person thing on Steam Deck. I was super impressed that it ran and was playable um, on deck. But on PC, my goodness, what a treat. This this game's awesome. We If people want to see us play it, we played with Dave Chen. I talked him into buying it. It was not that hard to talk him into. I said, hey, you should buy this. Let's play. And he did. It's also nice and, it's 40 bucks, not 60 or 70. Yes, and so if people want to see our playthrough, I, I, Dave streamed them. So they're on his his Twitch. You can see us kind of getting those first impressions. Jeff, I love this game. I think. Me too. We, we had so much fun playing together. Oh, my gosh. So fun. Just and I mean this in the best way possible. What a dumb game. What <laughs> well, a, it's intentionally dumb, right? It, yes, it, yes. It, it is very much Starship Troopers. If you've ever seen the film version from God, what year was that? Um, but the, that that aesthetic of. A big, dumb, self-aware, we know what we're doing type game. So it's, it's, I think dumb is a compliment in this case. Yes, I agree. And it, but beautiful, you know, like it, yeah, it's, it's really dumb. Gorgeous. Like you said, intentionally, the, like you're, you're liberating, you know, kill them bugs, kill these droids. You got to take back yeah. de- for democracy, democracy, all that stuff. in your face. It's, you know, that kind of, <laughs> yeah. that kind of Not stuff. Not today. Yeah. A lot of very silly, intentional things, but graphically and gameplay wise it is a top tier game delivering on experiences in such a frenetic and fun way so i played the first hell divers on my vita way back when and it was isometric um similar in time in, in scope in that you're going down and kind of doing these things with the squad but i think the move to hell divers 2 and the developers talked about this with adding the third or switching to third person 
makes it a little more claustrophobic. Like Jeff, when we're playing, there are moments where it's like, oh, people Northwest and, you know, I'm taking them down. And then there were multiple times where we were like, ah, you know, behind <laughs> us, behind <laughs> us, turn around. Yeah, Because yeah. 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 your camera's brought in or you step on a mine as you're backing up because a charger's coming at you and you don't know that Dave, it was definitely Dave, deployed a minefield behind you because you can't, you don't have that spatial awareness. And it allows for hilarity in ways that is never frustrating right like again you said it when we were playing and and to quote our friend dan trachtenberg it's it's all all the good suck right like so much of it is encumbering you in a way that if you just told someone you have to do this it's like i would not want to do that (laughs) yeah the game is like the mechanics of the game are intentionally difficult and cumbersome difficult is the wrong word cumbersome uh, laborious, right? Words that you don't associate with fun. <laughs> Th- things, th- everything takes twelve steps. Everything is requires a uh, uh, laborious input of of multiple commands, and all of that is to create these moments of tension. So the game really relies on what they call stratagems, which are basically. There, there, you know, you are a hell diver, meaning you're diving into hell, meaning you are on a spaceship. These planets are overrun by various uh, awful bugs and bad baddies, and you have to try to liberate them by, you know, murdering them or recapturing points or doing all kinds of different quests. Murdering so you're them. you're shot down. You're <laughs> diving down from the orbiting spaceship, landing on the planet, having to do certain things. Once you do it, you have to then escape and get, you know, evac out of there. But the the ships remain in orbit, and so much of what you're able to do relies on calling to those ships and having those ships send you things, be they supplies or turrets or extra stuff or a, a, a laser strike from the from the sky. And oftentimes, those are basically the special moves of this world. So you've got guns, you've got grenades, you're running around, third person action shooter destiny in third person killing a bunch of stuff but your special attacks your coolest stuff your magic so to speak is calling down stuff from the orbiting spaceships but the way you do that is you have to input basically a konami code style series of laborious inputs uh and each of the things that you're able to do and you can decide your loadout uh mission to mission based on what you've purchased uh, acquiring the in-game currency and then, you know, buying the cool stuff that you want to outfit your guy with. And those, so there's a list of like, you know, six or seven different things you can call down at any given time, but they're all like left, right, up, down, right, right, left, up, down. And you got to do that on the fly while you're being swarmed on all sides by, hordes of bad guys uh, uh icky bugs and robots and all kinds of stuff and it shows you the prompts you don't need to memorize it and i think right. sometimes they're different I, I i don't i've played probably seven hours as of recording and i'm still not sure if all of the commands are always the same or not because well, i'm just you're so in the heat of battle and you're just like <laughs> yeah. ah, I gotta do it. And it's, but all of it is there to specifically be cumbersome and you've got to like take your mind and put it into this like intricate series of commands while also 
kiting a giant space bug that's spewing acid at your face. So And walking through mud that slows you down 20%, and <laughs> yes. you've run out of stamina to sprint. Also, yes. your clips out of have two bullets left, go reload. <laughs> and, and I am well aware that that kind of sounds dreadfully unfun you know yeah it's right it sounds like (laughs) that just sounds tedious and awful but in the heat of it it just create and because because it really is a game intended to be played in groups you know it just engenders these incredible moments of being at the frayed edge of sanity you know it's <laughs> like what what the game is trying to create is oh my god <laughs> and and it really does that a lot you know it really does a great job of just throwing things at you and and knocking you off your your perfect plan and making it's bloopers things- it's it's full of blooper reels friendly fire <laughs> cannot be turned off right um, you're shooting your friends you're accidentally calling down an orbital strike and your friend walks in the path you're you know you are uh you know you are trying to do a thing and you haven't done it right and there's 14 steps to the mission and you've got to <laughs> you know you've got to carry this thing that slows you down to five percent of your walking speed while your friend is screaming that there's 400 alien bugs coming over the ridge you know it really does create those stories that i think make multiplayer gaming so much fun is oh my god do you remember what you were doing and you yeah you shot me yeah you know that kind of like wacky uh everything is a snowball going down the hill out of control type <laughs> situation. So we had a, I mean, we had a blast on the other thing I want to say is I, that I think is genius is because all of the orbital call downs are done in this fashion that I've described of, you know, these Konami code style intricate inputs. And then you get a pokeball basically that you throw Toss. into the world and yeah. that's where the ammo will yeah. land. The gene, the biggest thing of genius, I think, in this whole game is that's also how you revive a teammate. So in every other game, you have to run up to your teammate's fallen corpse and hold X or whatever you do to revive the teammate. And there's a certain tension and fun in that. But this game tries something completely different. And I think it is a huge success because you don't have to get anywhere near your teammate. Your teammate goes down. Who cares where they are? <laughs> but you have to call in this really intricate, goofy mm-hmm. code to, and then throw a ball mm-hmm. to find out where they're going to respawn. You threw me right by the big guy. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is genius because it creates – it just completely changes up that entire process of your teammate goes down. What do you do? Who's on it? Who's doing it? Oh my gosh, I'm be- I'm being swarmed. I don't have time to move my thumb over and put in these crazy up up down down left right left right B A B A select start, you know. Um but 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 again, all of it is there to just make it you know, walking and chewing gum. It's all <laughs> yes, trying yes. to juggle 14 things. You're juggling chainsaws, you know. It's it's just that kind of game and it's fun. <laughs> it's super fun. It, so this I, makes I it agree. by daylight sign like 
chill like you know like you cannot judge me being like oh dead by daylight how are you relaxing like that sounds like a nightmare a wonderful (laughs) nightmare but nobody can judge me to be fair (laughs) to be fair it is not relaxing no (laughs) (laughs) who plays games to relax Um, but we, we, we had so much fun and uh, Christian is right. The game is really attractive. I love the art design. It, it, it is, there's all kinds of goofy stuff that will hurt you if you walk over it and run into it, slow you down. And all of it looks attractive. Like, Oh, look at that beautiful glint. Oh, it hurt me. Why did it, you know, it's all just, it, it's so well designed and the world really does feel like you're dropping into hell. You know, it's, it's how they describe Pandora in the first Avatar movie, where it's like everything wants to eat your eyes as jujubes, you know that that monologue. So everything feels dangerous, everything feels scary. You're you have a time limit for your missions, so it's like there's optional stuff that you can get you more XP, more cool uh, uh, currency that you can spend on awesome stuff. So you want to do it, but tick tick tick, you know you got it. You got to push your luck element as well. Uh, Christian, we had so much fun, right? So I, uh, I mean, yes, I maybe am thinking about, do I have time to play today between <laughs> after doing this and needing to do something else? I, I think also, well, one, I should say for us, it, it was a very smooth launch, which I know people playing now, if they hear us and they, I want to buy it, you're out of that launch window. It doesn't affect you. But I think so many of these games launch in very difficult states at launch for my personal play experience. It was fantastic. Absolutely phenomenal day one launch, playing online with friends, people I wanted to play with, playing with randoms, ma- matchmaking. I had a great time. I can only I speak. I had one hard crash to desktop on PC, and immediately as I rebooted it, it downloaded a patch, and I haven't had a single issue since. So Yeah, that's great. But I, I do th- – again, Christian and I have BVGPs. So you know, on PC, I, I've heard that people with sort of lower-end specs are having a harder time of it. Uh, mm. But I heard the PS5 version is is very stable. And then the other thing I want to call out is its games as service element. It has the you know Fortnite made famous battle pass style thing, and there's a free one, um, War Bonds is what they call them, and then there is a paid one. And in those uh, War Bonds is where you're going to unlock gun- different guns, uh, different armor sets that are often just cosmetic. The guns do have perks, are like better or stronger guns. The gu- the armor does too. Some fair. of it, some of the armor does, yeah. yes. Um, and and you're working through those things. Jeff and I in our code, we got the premium war bond as well, which is a different set of things that you're using your in-game currency to unlock your way through. And I, I enjoy those types of progressions. I enjoy the Fortnite battle pass. I, I think they can be fun. My only frustration with Helldivers 2 so far and their war bonds is that it it does the thing that Fortnite started to do maybe four or five seasons ago where it's pages of stuff and you can't if let's say spider gwen is on page seven i can't just save up 120 trinkets and go to page seven and buy spider gwen i need to spend enough trinkets on each page like each page is gated by trinket spend to get to the next so it'd be like if you walked into walmart and it's like you want to go to the video game section great well you got to buy 10 packs of underwear first i don't want <laughs> underwear well you got to yeah. buy underwear i don't want that's so, a, that that department is before the video game department yeah. sorry yeah. yeah and welcome to vegetables I, I want <laughs> yeah. nope greeting vegetables. cards is next oh, <laughs> yeah. man. Yes. and there is some of that and i think some of the things more so i would say on the premium war bond 
it seems like a pretty hefty cost. Like I think in the premium war bond, it's spend 25 medals uh, before you can unlock the second page. Like it requires buying almost everything on that first page. I don't love that. That said, I don't feel like I necessarily need the best guns to have fun with friends because I'm not trying to min-max my way through this game. The broader conceit is Earth or New Earth, whatever it's called, is safe, but all the planets around it are deadly and dangerous. And so the other aspect of the game as service that it's doing is you see these bars like, Jeff, we liberated Heath. We were part of, you know, all the players in the world that have now freed this planet and we've killed all the enemies on it. And now there's going to be new planets that we have to go to and fight. So you're always making progress in that larger meta, even if you don't have the best shotgun or railgun to go down and do it with, you're still chipping away at that. So I still find that exciting and rewarding. And I hope that they kind of tweak the cost of pages of war bonds. But I love I love this game and I would love to play it with you if you're sad. Or happy after the Super Bowl. <laughs> it, I, yes. Either way. Uh, it Also, it has capes. Uh, it does have capes. I, you know, any game that has capes, I already <laughs> like it. It's, it's plus one to me liking it. Is you would it not be capes. a good Incredible then. Um, right, that's no, true. No capes. <laughs> no capes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to be playing this um, for a while. It, it, it really does feel fun. It is grindy, as you kind of indicated. It does feel pretty grindy. Um, you know, the, the coolest stuff is all the, you know, bring it down from the sky stuff. You don't really get new abilities per se. That's the way you get abilities is new stuff from the sky. So you kind of have to embrace that if you're going to play, but I think the shooting feels really good. Like laying into a, a giant bug that's running at you feels really good. Like it, they get, you know, ripped apart by your by your gunfire in such a satisfying way the way you would want the way it looks in starship troopers the movie the way you know, like bits and pieces are being torn off of them and they're tumbling and their four you know arachnid legs are kind of crumpling underneath them it's just very well done so just the pure base gameplay loop of kill a bunch of bugs just feels really good um and the game looks great plays great it supports super ultra wide uh, I, I, this is a huge thumbs up for me. I, I just, I'm so impressed with it. I did not expect to like it as much as I do. Yeah, I agree. It's great. So that's Helldivers 2. Uh, and on my playlist, Christian played the demo for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I played a lot of demos. All this the was, demos. <laughs> all the demos. Steam Next Fest week. I love, I love indie games. As anybody who listens to the show knows, I love Steam Next Fest. Because it is drinking from the fire hose of indie games. I heard that during this Steam Next Fest, there were uh, over a thousand game demos available. That's a lot. That just seems impossible. I don't know how anybody makes money in this space. That just seems overwhelming and nuts. I played, I think, around 30 of them. Uh, I tried to do my best. And my I feel like my job, my role here on the show is to kind of relate the best of the best to you, dear listener. So I'm going to give you my top five of the about 30 that I played uh, with one bonus game as well. So in no particular order, and of course, you know, if you've listened to the show, you know my proclivities, my my tastes. Uh, I, like a, I like a roguelite. 
I like a, I, I, I like a, a, a turn-based. I like a card game. Although I don't think there's any card games in my top five. Um, I will tell you one thing I have observed overall from a you know 10,000 foot view of the Steam Next Fest is we have gotten to that place that I remember talking about way long ago on back on weekend confirmed Christian. I remember saying, we're going to have an entire generation of game developers that grew up. And the thing that defined what video games were was Minecraft. And they're going to come of age and they're going to have a completely different expectation about what a video game does. And I kind of feel like that's come to come to pass because my my 10,000 foot view of uh, Steamfest is everything has crafting. <laughs> everything. Everything has crafting. It is uh it is wild to see there just like every game is like and you're also crafting and you're doing this but also you can build all these things. It's like that's just what I think a whole generation of people just expect ga- games do. Anyway. So here we go. Um I really enjoyed a game called Rotwood, which is uh, the next game from um, the developers of, what is it? Uh, oh, man, a game you would know, and I can't think of it right now. It is uh, Don't Starve. A great game, Don't Starve. Uh, developers of Go- Don't Starve doing Rotwood. This is a-, a game style that Christian, you and I both like. It is basically a brawler, a, a beat-em-up kind of style of game. Art is gorgeous. I love it. Very cartoonish, a uh, very beautiful, beautiful game. A roguelite where you are, you know, you can play co-op, one to four players of co-op in a pure kind of beat up fashion. You're going from room to room, fighting all these things, fighting bosses, getting a currency, upgrading yourself, uh, getting new cool stuff to do. Uh, very conventional in its mechanics, but just the execution is what made it special because of how great it looks, how great it feels. The combos feel very cool. The bad guys are all really unique and interesting. Rotwood, one of my top five. Uh, the next is a game called King's Grave, which is uh, a great example of what I was talking about where everything is uh, got crafting. This is, The idea of this game is... Uh, a, a kingdom has fallen under a blight that destroyed it. You are the king and you have to sort of rebuild the kingdom by going out in the world and defeating bad guys and then finding, exploring the remnants of your kingdom, finding these pockets of holdouts of villagers, uh, convincing them that the kingdom is back and and then sort of rebuilding elements of the key kingdom that will then allow you to do new things. So this is a really cool, it's pixel art, uh, top down, uh, kind of look to it almost looks like gauntlet in a weird way, but, um, you're, you have, you can, you fight stuff, but mostly what you're doing is kind of solving little puzzles to unlock areas of the map, find new areas of the map that then let you build, uh, functional, new buildings that give you new abilities. So you, you know, you can build the building that lets you make a new kind of weapon or that lets you clear rubble that lets you unlock even more areas of the map. So you're kind of like finding these areas, collecting resources that then you use to build up the areas of your kingdom that unlock new abilities that let you continue to do that. I really enjoyed this King's grave. It's what it's called comes out in April. I will be playing it then. I'm excited about it. 
another game called Terra Memoria, which is actually a, a, a kind of a similar concept in that, uh, well, this is a turn-based JRPG style um, role-playing game. Uh, that very much a JRPG style term, almost like Grandia two, which is one of my favorite JRPGs of all time. It's got this uh, cool turn-based system where you can see uh, the timeline of when all the bad guys and you are set to have your next move go off. And you can choose your move based on where it places you in the timeline. So if I do this move, it's powerful, but it's going to take longer for me to move again. And more bad guys will get to go before me than if I do something less powerful, but I can do it more frequently and maybe kill off the bad guys before they even get a chance to go. And you can do certain things to stun them and move them back the timeline, farther back on the timeline to let you move more often. Really cool. I love that turn-based strategy layer of the combat. This is another game that is beautiful beautiful and as i mentioned last week art goes a long way look and feel goes a long way for me to fall in love with something and i just love being in the world of terra memoria it is kind of this painterly beautiful backgrounds and then um pixel sprites for all the characters so there's they're not the same art style it's two disparate art styles that kind of live with each other and is i think works really really well uh, anthropomorphized animals you're moving around you're and again there's a crafting element you can create things and place them on the screen uh in certain areas to to uh, solve puzzles and stuff i really like the combat style i really like the storytelling of terra memoria all right and then a straight up roguelite like full-on twin stick action roguelike like a hades style like pure action roguelite called gatekeeper which, oh man, I just had so much fun with. That is um, a sort of futuristic, pure action. Go into a, a stage, stuff comes swarming at you from all sides. You're pulling off your moves. You've got a variety. Different characters have different move sets, a variety of different moves, and you're upgrading in real time like a MOBA would where you're leveling up as you go. And as soon as you level up, you can unlock a new thing. You can... Uh, get new abilities. You can increase your attack speed, have different builds, uh, and you're just acquiring more and more, getting more and more powerful the deeper you go level by level by level. But it is another game that has a really cool art style. The 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 combat is very satisfying. The characters play very different from one another. You level up. You feel more powerful as you go instantly. Gatekeeper, one to keep your eye on if you like roguelites like I do. Really, really slick game gatekeeper all right then my fifth game which i think for me the best game i played period and the one that i want christian to play the most christian this is going to be your catnip you will love this game it is called pepper grinder when I saw the name, all I could think of is that SNL sketch. You like a pepper? You get an adversity. You want a bit of pepper? I put a pepper for you. Huh? Uh, you like it a juice? Um, pepper grinder. Yeah, clever title. This is a a side-scrolling action platformer. So already in Christian's wheelhouse. I red-haired describe- protagonist. Red red-haired protagonist. Fe- okay. I think she okay. actually has blue hair, but you know. Okay. There's also, you can unlock uh, palette swaps. Actually, I'm not even joking. You can't. So maybe you can make a red hair. Um, she encounters, uh, in the first few seconds of this game, she discovers a giant 
drill, like the head of a drill that she holds like she's holding a, you know, a giant uh, gun from aliens, you know, like that big two handed gun. But she holds this giant drill bit, this big spinning drill. And that allows her not only to, you know, turn she. It, it, it's kind of like a combination between a drill and a chainsaw where like, and then it spins, you know, and she can use that to destroy enemies, but also she can use it to dig into soft areas of the screen. So I describe this game, this game is kind of like what if Celeste and dig Doug had a baby. So what it allows you to do is you dig into these soft areas and when she's digging, she moves much quicker and the level design is so brilliant because there'll be these soft areas and then there'll be a gap between them and then another soft area. And so you can push the button as you get to the edge of the soft area and she'll like cat, she'll rev the, the drill bit up as it spins faster and it propels her out. So you have to sort of like shoot yourself between these dig duggy little areas to solve puzzles. You'll be hitting enemies in between. You'll be drilling resources like diamonds and stuff that's in there. And you're hopping around and doing these really cool. I mean, it's almost got an element also of Sonic the Hedgehog because you have to have momentum to get yourself over the gap because if you're not touching any soft dirt, you don't have any momentum. So you have to like shoot yourself up and keep it going and keep your momentum and shoot yourself to the next one. Oh, dude, it's so satisfying, so fun. Again, 2D pixel art style, Celeste style uh, action platformer. I think, Christian, you would love this. I had so much fun. It's called Pepper Grinder. And uh, I don't know when it's coming out, but it's... um, Yeah, it's it's coming to Switch as well. And Switch just listed as General 2024. It's a Devolver Digital game. Devolver Digital, yeah. Um, Yeah, it looks very pretty. Man. Yeah, it was the it was the game that I was most thrilled with. But so many great. I mean, I'm leaving out a half dozen others that I think uh, were were super fun. I want to say one, uh, talk about one last game though, because we got a an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Arden. Arden works at Lion Arc Games, and Arden said, uh, "Hey, I've been a listener to DLC since the weekend confirmed days. Love the show. Thanks for keeping it going all these years." I honestly feel like the show has only gotten better in the last few years. I'm writing in because my brother and I are indie game devs and just released a public demo for our first game, Ember the Werefox, which is participating in the current Steam Next Fest. So I had to check this out. Compliments will get you everywhere in this world, uh, at least with me. Um, and so uh, I checked out Ember the Werefox, and this is a delightful pixel art, uh, also a roguelite, you play as Ember, who is a redheaded little girl, who uh, is has goes to bed and dreams that she is in the forest. And while she is in the forest, daytime, she can harvest uh, fruits and vegetables. She can find uh, little uh, critters, worms and grubs and things. She can find uh, sticks and twigs and rocks and all kinds of other things do unlock little puzzles find stuff in the daytime but tick 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 that sun is moving from through the sky very quickly and all of a sudden it's nighttime and once nighttime happens in her dreams 
the dark will harm her and all kinds of bad guys start coming out from the dark to attack her. The good news is she happens to be a werefox. So at night, she also transforms into a fox and is able to fight the bad guys. So the way this game works is the daytime phase, you're basically preparing for the nighttime phase. Because once the nighttime phase happens, all the little grubs and vegetables and things that you've picked can be food that you can then eat as the werefox and they will give you power-ups. So it has this entire skill tree system that is like, if you eat this thing, it makes your tail shoot fire from it. If you eat that thing, it means you have a boost. It gives you new powers. So you have to sort of, and every night it resets, right? You have to do it all on you. You have to feed yourself. So that daytime phase is super important. And you can also set up campfires and torches. So you have little pockets of light to stand in and fight the bad guys. And the bad guys are coming like vampire survival style. It's it vampire survivor. It's just a horde coming to you from all sides. So it's just, how long can I survive? Can I survive through the whole night to get through the whole night to become the little girl again? Um, and the, and then you can spend your courage. You get courage by defeating the bad guys. You can spend your courage on having permanent power-ups that, uh, that persist through the day night cycle and persist through you know, waking up from the dream. Dying means you wake up from the dream and you go and you hug your little teddy bear in your room. And the teddy bear is like, I loved your courage. You can spend your courage on new things, but it also takes courage to go back to sleep. It takes courage to go and sleep and dream again of the, of the scary things. So it uses up courage. It's a very adorable game, very clever. The other cool thing about it is all the crafting system. So you, you craft because everything is crafting, but it's completely menuless crafting. You literally just pick something up and you combine it with something in the world. You can pick up a stick, pick up multiple sticks. She's holding them over her head, walk over to something, combine the stick with some cotton, and it turns into a torch. A uh, very clever, intuitive way to handle that kind of stuff. And I really enjoyed Ember the Werefox. So thank you, Arden for writing in and bringing that to our attention. Uh, please, you and your brother should be uh, congratulated. I hope more folks check out Ember the Werefox. All right. I know that was a lot. We're not done yet because Christian checked out the Apple Vision Pro. So let's hear about that. Christian Spicer, I talked at length about the Apple Vision Pro last week, but you finally got your appointment. Vic, have you any interest in Apple Vision Pro? Have you seen anyone that used it? Have you talked to anyone? Have you been to a store? What's your what's your current I, status? I have seen kind of bits and pieces of it. I'm always, I think I'm still like, I'm sort I'm still a VR skeptic, and I hate to say that. I still feel like there's not been that thing that has grabbed me with it. There's not been that thing that has encouraged me to go out and buy increasingly expensive headsets. And I, right. I, I don't know. And I, I, I think it's just, I, I don't like the idea of like being so insular almost, which is, you know, that's fair. We do, it's which fair. is weird. Like I'm, I'm always interested in seeing how the stuff like 
goes or what, what the new inventions are. And I'm excited to see what Christian's kind of thoughts are. But yeah, I, I'm, you know, maybe this will be the thing that grabs me. I, I don't know. Well, the price point certainly wouldn't grab you, but, nope. but uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Christian, you went in and had a demo in store, which anybody can do. You can sign up uh, and uh, get a time and you can come down and there's no, there's no uh, expectation that you're going to buy one, right? You're just testing it out, right? So what was your experience doing that? A couple of caveats. One, I don't own a Quest 3. I have borrowed one. I've had extensive face on time with it. Um, I own... A lot of Apple products is the other caveat. I am definitely in that ecosystem. A phone, watch, my laptop, iPad. We are in that Apple ecosystem. Jeff, I don't think you did this thing. Uh, I think you did it a little dirty last week. Really? I, I don't think you I sang his praises enough. enough? <laughs> I don't think you were. So I am it, – uh, the other caveat you already mentioned, and this is the only time I'm going to mention it. It's, it's expensive. It's 3500 bucks in the U.S., but oftentimes, like we don't talk about other products, uh, games with being associated with their price, how much fun it can or cannot be. I want to acknowledge the price, but now leave it out of everything else that I'm going to talk about. This demo, again, so I'm playing, I, I did the demo at the Apple store. They don't take you to a back room, you're just in the middle of the store um, and how they do it. And so, but I imagine the stores are, they're well lit and it's, you know, designed yeah. to, show this thing off in the best way possible, but you're and, also and in wait, the real quick before you even go on. I want to say that if you are someone that wears glasses, like I do, uh, you still can do a demo, uh, even though you can't wear your glasses inside Apple vision pro, they have these professional optometry devices that let you bring your glasses in. You, you, as you're standing there, you, you put your, they put your glasses in this device and it gives them an indication of what your prescription is so they can bring out a demo unit that has an equivalent to your prescription in it so you can actually still do the demo. I just wanted that to, people to be that's aware amazing, of that. By the way. <laughs> that's, that's What's great. that? That's amazing. I wear, I wear glasses and that was part of the reason yeah. I wore the VR for a long time. Yeah, that's yeah I, I, I can't really <laughs> wear contacts anymore. So, I, And I, I think there's a lot of people like that. So I... I, I love that they've made that possible for folks to walk in. Couldn't have been cheap for them to outfit all their stores with these things. Uh, and I, I think it's really cool. Anyway, go ahead, Christian. Well, that's great. I mean, that's kind of where I wanted to start is as the demo experience. It is phenomenal. There is no sales pressure. Um, oh, do you like it? Do you want to buy it? Well, why don't, you, why don't you put a deposit down? Let me see if we have – we'll set one aside for you why the do the demo because they're going fast. There is none of that. And it is such a premium style experience where, you know, you're, you make an appointment ahead of time, you go in, you're greeted by the person that's going to help you, you check in with a little QR code or whatever it is, and they bring the device out on this, I don't know what it, if it's bamboo or not, but some type of like wood tray, like the whole thing looks and feels premium. You see the cleaning stations, this thing comes out to you pristine like it's brand new out of the box it doesn't feel like you know you're getting in the rental car that you got on discount and it says no smoking but it reeks of cigarettes <laughs> and you can't put it in reverse you know it, yeah. it's none of that everything about the the demo experience feels premium and they're respecting your time and i'm sure it varies by the person the person who gave me my demo his name was chris 
did an outstanding job. Ask and maybe for you Chris, might, ladies and Ask for Chris. Ask yeah. for Chris. If you're in the LA area, there's only one out. There's so many <laughs> Apple stores, but ask for Chris. Um, so it might vary depending on who does your demo, but it really felt like working with an enthusiast who is, or going over to a friend's house who is excited to show you this tech, which is one of my favorite things about spatial computing um about vr <laughs> is showing it to new people and that is very much the impression that i got during my apple store demo of this is so cool i can't wait for you to experience it what's your background like with this type of you know headset device what do you want to do how do you want to go into this and then showing off the cool things it could do and Comparing that to Target having the Google Cardboard or whatever it was, like chained to a table, and who know, and some kids probably keyed the inside lenses, or I think it was the Oculus had Best Buy demos that it's like, do you want pink eye? Try this. <laughs> you know, just nothing about it felt inviting, and I know that demoing these um spatial computing vr headsets is a great way to show what they can do and it, you, a flat screen trailer on youtube can only show you what it's like so much right like they can approximate what you're seeing but not seeing it with that depth not having that face on experience uh does a disservice to what the experience is like and so jeff you mentioned it has to be expensive to do this to have all these devices to have these employees dedicating hours of their day to it, cleaning them, getting them ready. It's a half hour demo. Mine went a little longer because I requested to do the dinosaur. Please take it off, sir. Dinosaurs, dinosaurs. Need to see the dinosaur, which is incredible. You have to take off the headset at some point. No, I've cranked this dial so tight (laughs) over my dead dinosaur body. Um, And and, so just truly a phenomenal experience. Truly a, a, a... 10 out of 10 in terms of how to showcase this new technology to people that many of whom probably haven't experienced before. That out of the way, holy crap, is this thing impressive. I mean, the the pixel density, the, the screen clarity of these OLED screens is second to none. There is a little ghosting. If I, like I move my head quickly and Chris, the person giving me my demo, you know, I could see... It's a screen. Please stop moving your head quickly. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, whip it fast, bro. Um, uh, It is a screen. But what I think is so incredible about the quality of the screen is that there are times when you forget it's a screen. And no other screen have I ever looked through or at and thought, that might be real life. You know, like there were moments when you're sitting there and, and Chris is talking to me and someone else walks up and they start having a conversation and you feel, I felt present in a way I've never felt in any other headset. And then the applications themselves, I watched more than they probably wanted me to of avatar two and 3d. It's incredible. I mean, (laughs) I asked you last time, would you prefer to watch on a screen like on your OLED or in that? And I watch a lot of media by myself uh, because my family's like, why do you like that, you nerd? And then they shove me into a locker and, you know, stick my head in a toilet. Um, I watch TV late at night. And I think I would probably choose to watch stuff on a Vision Pro over, you know, sitting at my computer or on an iPad or sitting at my TV. The clarity of the screen and that experience of having this thing all around you was absolutely phenomenal well and certainly I think, 3d content is it's yes. the way to watch it. i i think i said on this show i certainly said on the film cast but it's better than going to the movies 
it's better to, for a 3D experience. I think a, a 2D experience, you can argue, you know, being inside the headset might be fatiguing or isolating, as as Vic was saying. So you can argue the 2D experience. But the other thing that I tried since the last time we spoke, Christian, is they have an IMAX app. Hmm. It charges you more it, to watch the same size screen? N- no. They, <laughs> but it, it, it creates the experience of looking at an IMAX size screen in that IMAX aspect ratio. And they have the, the like made for IMAX stuff that you would find at that, like a real IMAX screen. The, it's like this. Like the observatory the, stuff. Yeah. Or, it'll be yeah. like the, the nature documentaries. There's a, there's a space one narrated by Jennifer Lawrence. And it is un believable it feels like you have the best seat at an imax anyway so so i don't want you to paint me as having disagreed with that (laughs) that's all i'm saying and then you mentioned it before the spatial videos and spatial photos i mean if this thing catches on i think it will change how we capture memories the ones they have in the demo very much take advantage of the 3d you're there moment where it's like a birthday cake in front of you and it's like yeah. vic do you want to blow it out oh, what <laughs> tina you want to we'll let tina do it but it's like <laughs> makes you aware that you're in the space or like bubbles are going and it's like yeah. look this is your child who may or may not be dead and they're blowing <laughs> bubbles you can pop them remember this memory because your kid's dead and it's i mean <laughs> It's emo- these aren't, it wasn't my family, and I found myself becoming emotional, and I think you could, I could see myself capturing videos in ways that are different than how I do now because I'm playing to the strength of the thing in which I'm going to later consume it when my family dies. <laughs> that's, been, watch the- that's been my experience <laughs> in the last couple of weeks is like I am, I'm shooting exclusively spatial video with my family, and I'm doing it in a way like a, my wife and I went out to dinner. I need something in the night. foreground. Huh? <laughs> bring me, bring me some foliage. <laughs> well, I shot one. It was snowing at our house and I shot one outside with my wife in the snow and it was amazing in 3d. I was like, Oh, the snow, I can reach out and test the snow. Um, I also, I also, we went out to dinner. So my mom's in town. So we got to actually go out to dinner, the two of us. And I, I, I took one of her like sitting across from me and I was like, okay, this is the video I'm going to watch. After you die, and I'll be reaching out. <laughs> this is the one. This is the memory. Yeah. So, honey, like, do, like, lean forward and kiss me. You know, it's like, <laughs> tell me you love me and you yeah. forgive me. Uh, <laughs> I tried to, you know, you know, I tried to save you from the bugs. Um, <laughs> and the, and I guess the last thing I'll mention of, of just kind of doing this this demo experience is. I, again, it's only, I was in there for maybe 45 minutes, but I think what Apple is trying to do with the interface is really fascinating. The tapping to get things done and looking. And I could see how looking does become a strain on your eyes because like I'm talking to Vic and Jeff right now, but I'm not like, I can look over here, I can do something else. And if I yeah. want to interact with Vic's window, it's like, no, yes, I am interact. I do not <laughs> stare at the little blink. icon. Yeah. yeah, do not blink. Do not shift my eyes. Do not get pulled away by something else that I can see because I'm still kind of in the real world. But I think having the look and tap and pull gets rid of the need for the hand tracking to be super precise because I'm not actually grabbing the corner in space. I'm right. looking at the corner and I'm grabbing wherever I want and making that happen. So it creates this very passive interaction with my body as I'm interacting with this stuff in a 3d space that I think is very different than how a lot of traditional VR has done it. And you mentioned that last week, Jeff, where it's like a lot of times it's like you pick up the gear and you move the gear and you put the gear in. It's like, I'm doing this thing. 
And I feel like Apple is rethinking that saying, well, this thing isn't in real space. You don't need to mount your TV, <laughs> you know, the way right. you would put it up. So how can we approximate that and still have it feel good and tactile, but eliminate the barriers of doing the things? And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. It, it Hands down, the best headset I've ever worn. I, I walked out of there absolutely blown away. Also the most and expensive I, headset you've ever I worn. Get, I'm not mentioning yeah. that again. Uh, <laughs> I am curious to see what developers do with it and how they you know, explore the space. Cause I would love to play resident evil four on it I versus know, right? oh, wow. yeah. my PSVR two or, or meta quest two. Um, yeah. I was shocked at how blown away I was. It's, it's the biggest it. bummer, especially, I know you said you, you mentioned that you did the dinosaur encounter experience, which I think is the, is the thing that most hints at the promise of what a video game experience could be on the thing. You know, because in, in the experience, like literally a dinosaur like walks into your world. Butterfly uh, lands on your finger. Yeah, and it's, it's photorealistic, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I want games on this thing. And it's a big bummer that they don't have any games on the thing at the moment. Uh, but I'm really glad you came away. Are, are, are you trying to lobby your family to loosen up some purse strings? My family? You mean me, Christian Canada? Am I trying to ask my family? Yeah, he doesn't uh, need a family. He's got his like... That's right, you know, virtual family. Virtual yeah, I have, family. I have videos They're of your wife family. leaning forward and telling me that she loves me, Jeff. I don't know what you mean. P.S. I'm yes. in your house right now, buddy. I am it's in true. your house right now. She just says, I love you. She doesn't say my name. So it, it really <laughs> would work for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see moving forward what other stuff we can do on it it's gen one for them too yeah, which is gen one yeah yeah i was blown away all right well lots more to talk about there lots more to talk about with all the stuff we a jam-packed episode uh another one and Vic hood so much fun to have you on the show thank you for being with us thank you for having me it's been good fun yeah i may even end up buying a, a pro headset who knows i blame you, <laughs> there you i blame go. you christian <laughs> well uh, apologies in advance for for your wallet um, yeah. <laughs> but uh tell folks where they can keep up with you and the cool stuff that you do online yeah so you can find well i don't write a whole lot but you should go to dot esports because we're you know doing lots of general gaming stuff we don't just do esports we do all range of gaming related things so you can just find that dot esports.com or you can find me personally at uh hood underscore vic on x slash twitter whatever um so yeah you can can find me either of those places very cool christian spicer what about you what do you got going on this week tunneling my way into jeff's house um about two <laughs> miles away right now really working slowly um it's cold uh yeah <laughs> i am on threads and instagram as christian underscore spicer this show is also on both of those platforms as dlc hype train and then I have a newsletter where I write casually about video games, conversational style pieces. It's on Substack. It's christianspicer.substack.com. One just went out Friday about the future of video games. I teased that last week, Jeff. And one thing that I found interesting as I was writing it was trying to predict what 20 years in the future video games will be like. And to me, to use the term again, that felt like a Herculean task of 20 years from now, who knows what it will be. But I think is interesting about hitting middle age is that 20 years in the future feels impossibly far in the future to predict, but 20 years in the past feels like yesterday. Yeah. And I think that 
the way time conflates like that is really interesting. Like who knows 20 years will all have wings. Who knows what the world will be like? And then I think back to 2004 and I'm like, everything was the same except we had flip phones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So but, you're saying uh, 20 years from now, it'll still feel like five years ago was the nineties. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That can't, <laughs> that, that couldn't have been 1994 couldn't have been 30 years ago. Cause that's not 1970, you know, like it's <laughs> right. that yeah. same repetition over and over again. Um, but that is christianspicer.substack.com where folks can find that. You can follow me on those same places at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, you can listen to me talk about movies and TV shows on the film cast. I talk about science in a humorous, humorous way. Um, we have concerns and I talk about sports on the fan controlled show on fan controlled sports and entertainment. All of those are available wherever you get podcasts and I urge you to check them out. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Vic, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. It's a bit of a weird one. I feel like I've set myself up as a bit of an odd person in this. In this, But my suggestion is a documentary sort of series called Escaping Twin Flames on Netflix. So it came up a couple of weeks ago, and it's sort of like about a cult. I don't know if you can call them that, but essentially, um, yeah, it's a really interesting watch. It's an interesting watch of how kind of a cult can grow, particularly around like the pandemic space and through the virtual space. And, you know, you've not kind of got your classic sort of Charles Manson, sort of the things people think of when they think of cults and hippies and LSD and that sort of thing. Instead, it's like this this modern thing of uh, a couple that kind of taps into like people's just desire for love. Um, and it's just it's really interesting. Watch, I have me hooked. I'm down in a weird sort of cult uh, rabbit hole now, which combined with my DVD is, uh, is you know me <laughs> peeling me out to be a you know a, a potential threat. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, that's Escaping Twin Flames, uh, and it's currently on Netflix. It is, yeah. Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? Well, I'll throw out one other watch thing. My my wife and I were late to the party of Fargo season five, and we loved it. So good. Uh, she just kept saying, John Hamm, <laughs> was her uh, takeaway. Um, fantastic I know, season. I can't tell if that was good or bad. I okay. can't either. I, I don't think she could either. I think it's... <laughs> Uh, much like Vic's uh, cult, uh, <laughs> yeah. good or bad, we don't know yet. And the other thing, I just talked about it a whole bunch, but for real, go do a demo. If you live close to an Apple store and you're able to do it, my my main parting gift would be go do a Vision Pro demo. It's free. It, it, it feels like a premium experience. I wish more things had demos like that for physical products. I wish test driving a car was more like that versus, you know, yeah. like the often yucky experience they can be. So if you're close to an Apple store, you can reserve it online, go book it. It's, it's a, a free 30 minute fun, you know, <laughs> that'd be my main parting gift. Go do a demo. Love it. Uh, my parting gift is I've been trying to get more into anime this year and uh, give it more of a shot as I haven't really uh, given it a, a fair shake, I think. Uh, and a one uh, anime that has really charmed me is one uh, that's available on crunchyroll.com now. It's called Free Ren Beyond Journey's End. 
And uh, my goodness, is this beautiful. It's very traditional sort of Dungeons and Dragons style uh, framework in that it's a group of adventurers. But it, the, this story starts where most D&D adventures end. They saved the world. They did it. They vanquished the demon. They did it. And that's where the story starts is like, okay, now what? And one of the characters, Freeren, the titular character, um, is a, an elf who lives thousands of years. And the other people in her party aren't. And so it's about, it really is a show about the passage of time. And it, it shows that like what happens as she continues to look like a young person and everyone around her dies and the world changes and things happen. It's really quite beautiful. And uh, I found it really surprising. It's just an interesting concept. Uh, and, and one, it's kind of a slow um, kind of, um, a meditative show, really. It's really about time. And I, I just thought it was really special. It's called Free Ren Beyond Journey's End. It's available on Crunchyroll. We also got a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It comes from Brian, who writes, Like many of your listeners, I assume, I suffer from beefy GP envy when you two brag about your beefy GPs. So, I wanted to share a video from Digital Foundry showcasing a rather amazing mod from Modder Newcomb, which has helped to soothe that envy quite nicely. This mod will allow any NVIDIA RTX graphic card to utilize FSR3, FSR3 and essentially get the frame generation capabilities of DLSS3. It only works for RTX-level NVIDIA cards, and it doesn't work for AMD cards at all, despite using AMD's FSR3, as it requires RTX and essentially tricks the GPU into thinking DLSS3 is unlocked on the card, then swaps in FRS3. I've been using this on my RTX 2070 Super in Alan Wake 2 for a couple of weeks now, and it really is quite astonishing. There is some optimization to be had, such as the community finding tweaks in the game's DLL files to reduce ghosting, but I've gone from running at about between 45 and 60 FPS at 1080p with Digital Foundry's PS5 performance equivalent settings to be able to run at a much higher setting at 1440p and consistently hitting 60 FPS on the same hardware. Anyway, I was delighted to see the Digital Foundry picked up on this mod that's been discussed by the community for a while now as their stamp of approval helps add a bit of legitimacy to the mod and helps those of us with less technical knowledge understand what's happening under the hood. Hope this helps a bunch of DLC community get more life out of their older RTX cards. Oh, one caveat, the modder states that it is not compatible with multiplayer games as the anti-cheat will ban the player if it's being used. Cheers, Brian. Very cool. I had not heard of this uh, before, um, but that's awesome because obviously DLSS3 is restricted to the 40 series uh, NVIDIA cards. So the fact that it is uh, a possible on uh, lower end cards uh, really is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. If you'd like to have your parting gift word on our show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. 
All right, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Vic Hood and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those great bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. We do need to thank our patrons for making this show possible. They are the reason you get to hear it. You can become one at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Our top tier patrons, our hype train level patrons, become video games themselves. Well, let's explain how. We got to tell you about a video game, a uh, video game. I know you remember Christian because there was an era when the name of the main character kind of told you everything you needed to know about a video game. And we're here to tell you about relentless Rex. Yeah. I mean, my video game would be tired dude, I think would tell you everything you need to know about it. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm talking to like Duke Newcomb, you know, uh, that era, uh, Commander Keen, mm-hmm. uh, the, Bion- the- Bionic Commando. Yes, you- yes, yes. Relentless Rex. Oh my gosh, you would talk about a game ahead of its time because you know nowadays it's very common not to have lives, you know, not to have a, a, a fine. I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, you're very trendy that way, Christian. Very trendy. Um, but not to have, you know, a finite uh, game over screen. Relentless Rex was relentless. You, you, could, you, you couldn't stop the game. In fact, there was no power. The power switch was disabled when you played Relentless Rex. <laughs> All right, time to come down for dinner. I can't. I can't. I can't. Oh, how playing- many times did you get in trouble for playing Relentless Rex because it followed you to the dinner table? <laughs> I mean, the worst part about it was that my parents would then be like, "My dad, I wish you were this relentless about your studies. And I'm like, yeah. uh, I'm not Rex. I'm not being relentless. <laughs> Rex right. is, and I need to play the game. I feel like it very much is, as we're talked a lot about Helldivers 2 on this week's show, you know, the Chargers and some of those big enemies. I almost feel like relentless rex was the inverse of that like if they were to remake it today i'd love to hear the backstory of relentless rex just tearing through these environments and oh no it's like kind of godzilla-esque of like (laughs) relentless rex is but playing it back then it was so fun to just see all these obstacles put in your way and know that like you're unstoppable what's, what's What's the scene uh, from uh, Last Samurai, right? Tom Cruise keeps getting beat down and he yeah. keeps getting back up again. That's how I felt as Relentless Rex. Like It didn't yeah. matter it didn't what matter. was in front of me. You just keep those, going. Those little yeah. hands were going to come out and get it, you know, in yeah. one way or another. It was weird that his uh, – the, the, the big boss was uh, Tired Phil, you know? <laughs> it was – Well, because you had to get – you had to – if I remember correctly, you had to get Phil on your same level. And yeah, Phil just that's didn't. True. Phil relented years ago. You know, <laughs> you had to motivate him. You push X to motivate. <laughs> After four hours of action platforming, Phil was just like, "Nah, I'm busy." You guys, thanks for the text, though. You know, really ahead of its time. Yeah. Thanks for so the invite. Good. Maybe next time. Uh, the other game that we need to talk about today, completely different genre. You know, because uh, we ha- we haven't talked too much about uh, educational games. You know. But I remember um, uh, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego being a big, big thing. And I think there was a whole genre of those, of which Curtis <laughs> from Louisville was one. Um, a <laughs> little more, you know, a little more locally focused. 
uh, game than than where in the world is Carmen San Diego. But I certainly learned a lot about Louisville. Well, also fascinating fact about Curtis from Louisville that I didn't learn until I was older. Uh, uh, Vancouver was actually a stand-in for Louisville in the, <laughs> the whole time. In the game. Yeah. I felt a little duped by that because I felt like I learned so much about the Canucks of Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never knew. It wasn't until later and they were like, that building is clearly uh, in Vancouver. And I was like, yeah. no, 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 that's definitely in Louisville. I know exactly where it is. I could take you there with my eyes closed. And, <laughs> right. Uh, apparently it was funny because, you know, the, the main gameplay, Luke, is like, where is Curtis from Louisville? And you'd be like, <laughs> well, he's in Louisville. And it's like, you're right again. <laughs> <laughs> I remember kind of like the top down part of like the, the uh, maybe the main gameplay loop where at least for when I was playing it, you know, I'm like walking around. It felt like early GTA, not GTA three, but like early top down. Yeah, GTA, and you're yeah. knocking on doors and it's like, is Curtis here? Wrong door. And you cl- and you're like, oh, yeah. but you couldn't update your HUD. So I had graph paper. That's why oh, I said I could wow. find that building. I would mark like yeah. one, two, seven, you know, West Elm doesn't live there. Cross <laughs> it off. Go to the next house. Yeah. Curtis here. Get off my lawn. <laughs> oh, that's not that. It was a very time consuming game, but man, I, I learned so much about not Louisville, you know, <laughs> anyway. where in Louisville is <laughs> Curtis, he's here. Yeah, we answered he's, it. How what uh, song goes? Um, he's catchy. still here. Yeah. <laughs> Curtis went on vacation. Oh. <laughs> great games, great memories. Thanks again to Relentless Rex and Curtis from Louisville for supporting the show at such a high level and giving us those memories of days gone by. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.